Wolverine. Wolverine. Hello and welcome to the Examination Podcast. We have two great X-Men books to talk about this week. Marauders number 17 and a King in Black tie-in issue, Sword number 2. We'll talk more about the King in Black as well as what's going on in Krakoa soon. But first, I'm your host, Quentin Emler, and joining me this week is the Shiro to my sky, Kelsey Struts. Sweet. <laughs> and the one who whispers sweet things into our ears, the Fabio Cortez of our podcast here, Dane Rainier. Oh, I just I make everybody else around me more powerful. <laughs> um, this week's books I thought were pretty good, pretty good. Um, but before we talk too much about them, let's hook up to Cerebro and see what's new in the world of Marvel. And we're recording this Wednesday night. Comics are freshly in our laps, but coming out Friday, we've got Scarlet Witches and Vision's new show, WandaVision. What do we think? Is this going to be on our screens Friday? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Especially on a Friday that, you know, the weekend um, around the corner, it's a little easier to stay up a little later and watch. I, I absolutely think I'll, I'll have watched it by the end of the day. I think it's interesting. I feel like Disney's getting away with murder, right? Like you look at CW or not CW, HBO Max, like getting so much shit for putting Wonder Woman on TV. And then like Marvel just got ahead of it and it's like, we're just moving stuff to TV. And I feel like they're getting away with like this five years ago would have been a movie. Yeah, that they're doing the same thing. Just yeah, you know, moving program going straight to streaming, cutting out theaters. Like these are movie characters, movie actors. Well, like I don't but they're they doing it in, a movie. They're doing it into the TV format of you know, the episodic format. And also there has been that push for deeper storytelling um, to be done on TV that you can, if you have a more complex story, it is better to do it on TV than in the movie. You don't have the constraint of like a two to three hour tops movie that you got to shove everything in. You can go, well, I've got, Oh, six to 10 episodes or something so six to eight hours to really do this or 10 hours to to do this and i think what is this a nine episode yeah nine episode yeah so so you you can do a nine episode or nine hour arc yeah it's funny relating it back to the x-men the x-men feel like characters that have had movies that somebody always gets cut that and you might not like this reality dame but i feel like the best x-men movies usually focus on Magneto or Wolverine. And it's be I think that's because of the X-Men need to be a TV show kind of like this, yeah. where like they need more time. And to tell a good story, they kind of have to pick the most popular character and go with it. I 100% agree that movies are not equipped in the same way to handle team stories. I think Avengers and the whole MCU franchise is the abnormality because they've, they've broken the mold and what they've done, but it all, oh, they made a TV show with two and a half hour episodes. Exactly. Yeah. But, but that's what it does. And they just released two a year. And so when you have the advantage of getting to know those characters from their own two to two and a half hour episode, it makes it possible. But something like the X-Men, you're hundred percent right. You've got to focus where you're going to make your money, where you're going to get your views. 
And you just, in a movie, you don't have the time to deviate or everything goes off the rails and it's not a good movie. So do you think Kevin Feige should do the WandaVision treatment or the in-game treatment with the X-Men franchise? Like the the slow build, focus on, have a few character-focused movies? I actually think a TV show would be the best. I think you can have movies maybe throughout, you know, like do two seasons of the show and then an X-Men movie and then another season of the show and then they show up as, you know, a part of another film or maybe just one or two of them show up here or there. But honestly, I do think they are uniquely better situated for television. And if there's ever been a time in the history of media for that to be uh, plausible, it's now. Yeah. Did you, uh, Kelsey, did you see that Deadpool was recently confirmed to have a new movie? They didn't identify as Deadpool 3. Kevin Feige kind of verbally confirmed that the movie's coming out. It is rated R and it is part of the MCU, the next Deadpool movie. Yes, I did see that. I saw that and I saw that the uh, creators of Bob's Burgers are writing it. Could you be happier? I could not. And, and Ryan Reynolds, of course, is overseeing it. And it's cool oh, to yeah. see him be a steward of the property, too. Yes. And, they, they, and really they, care he, about it. He has a hard line on it as far as, you know, it's like you had the feeling that if they were going to try and make Deadpool PG-13, he was not going to be part of it. Yeah. And, and I think if they didn't give him creative control at this point, he would have probably not been as interested because I think he does take some pride in his work. I'm not going to say it's like uh, he loves Deadpool. So it's like he wants to do a good job. And that is encouraging to me um, at the very least. Uh, anything else uh, WandaVision related? Uh, I know they announced that sword. They changed out the word world for weapons. So instead of sentient world observation response division, it's sentient weapon observation response division, which I think they're saying gives them a little leeway to be checking into uh, somebody like Scarlet Witch, who's all powerful. In addition, the aliens. Did you guys see that? I did not notice that. Good yeah, catch. some promo yeah, art. I, had I did sword. see that. I did see that actually. Well, Dan, you really need to step up. We're expecting more from you. Clearly, right. I'm not the eye boy of this team. Obviously not. It was <laughs> maybe he just didn't know how to describe it. You guys, you guys are eye boy and peepers, and I'm just over here missing everything. Oh, I call peepers, peepers. man. <laughs> peepers. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and shift gears, get back in the comics now. And I want to talk about the King and Black crossover event. Um, this one for me is one that I really enjoyed when they first added this, uh, this new Venom arc into the history of the Marvel universe. Cause it really has retconned or changed or adapted Venom to be less of a Spider-Man villain and more of just a stand on his own slash even Thor kind of villain. Uh, they tie the Grendel mythology from Beowulf into the origin of Venom, saying that Grendel was the first symbiote that people saw on Earth. And uh, this King in Black is kind of that promise of that um, storyline coming to be. Uh, the X-Men are heavily involved in it, including this week's issue, Sword Number 2. I want to talk about Venom, though, and we're 90s kids. Who was Venom to you growing up? Uh, was he a big one for you or just somebody that you loosely knew of? Kelsey, what was your relationship with Venom? Oh, man. Venom was one of, like, the end-all, be-alls growing up in the 90s. I mean, he was the coolest version of Spider-Man because he also had muscles 
And <laughs> I'm laughing because it's 100 percent true. And yeah, like eight year old like, Dane knows. And he wore black, like street justice. I mean, and oh, he was yeah. one of those guys. Who's like he's the bad guy, but he's also a good guy sometimes. And sometimes they team up. And you, you know, one of the defining comics I read during my formative years was the Maximum Carnage arc. Mm. Where... In the game, do you guys remember the game? <laughs> that's where I remember so, the game as well. That's where I was going because two of the tabs I have open right now are Maximum Carnage and the Separation, separation Anxiety. anxiety. Yeah. That was also cool. I was going to say Venom to me was a player two on a Sega Genesis controller. <laughs> he was player two, not player one, huh? Right. Yes. I, I the, don't. The preferred was was Spider Man. Oh, I don't mean that from a perspective of like who, which one was more preferred. I think it's just that. I think he's always player two, the second controller. I don't think like you had to pick between them. It's I mean, can you imagine a world in which War Machine, who like essentially is the '90s version of Iron Man, is like cooler than Iron Man? Like that—that's legitimately the thing. Like yeah. growing up, I was the second I saw Venom be like somewhat good and not just straight villain. I was like, well, I don't care who Spider Man is. Right. Like right. doesn't <laughs> matter that he was relatable, just like me, a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that makes Spider-Man a hero that transcends generations. It's like, screw that. We got that gooey anti-hero that dresses in black. Venom really is when the cool kid gives you a little bit of attention. Like that that was a, him turning good guy was like, oh, the cool the cool kid said hi to you. So it's like, I'm going to sit with him now. Ten year old guys. was like, shut it, Peter Parker. You're a nerd. <laughs> it's yeah, exactly like, I don't need that nerd stuff anymore. I got Venom. I've just grown, guys. <laughs> but no, you're 100% right. It's like, there's nothing similar to Peter Parker, but when you compare Spider-Man to Venom, it's like, okay, uh, he's bigger, he's stronger, he basically has webs anyway. Um, he can bite he's, things. He's kind of cool. He also cancels out Spider-Man's spider sense. Yeah. Now, would he get whooped by Shocker? Obviously, those big old sound waves coming out of his right. gut. A Dr. Claw. Ulysses Claw would wreck his world. So a, a few years before this Krakoa launch, Venom, in the same way that Krakoa changed the direction of the character, it did the same thing for Venom and made him less of a Spider-Man uh, heel. And some of that's probably to create some storylines that aren't as tied into, um, you know, the Spider-Man stories for the movie property. But how do you guys feel about separating the two spider-man and venom is there a interest in a venom that's not a spider-man heel yeah sure i think they showed that yeah they've really taken off it, it, with venom in the last with, five years or... but even with venom not being when he's not eddie brock i mean when he's matt gargan and he was a member of the thunderbolt or flash when, thompson yes when he's flash thompson when he's a member of the guardians of the galaxy i mean you could do a lot with that character because you have that kind of street level stuff with his Spider-Man time, but he's also Venom. The symbiote is an alien. And you can basically put him on whoever you please. That is true. Like I don't think anybody fits into more corners. He he does not the Doctor Strange side, but pretty much everything else he can at least why, show up. Why can't kind he of just? Uh, why can't he just imbue cover up a wizard? There we go. <laughs> Done. It, it, it is interesting. Oh, you're he's right. been a T Rex. He, he went from a Spider-Man villain to sort of a Spider-Man anti-hero to a point now where, I mean, he's like a cosmic entity in storylines. Like, yeah. it wasn't that long ago 
that we had he had a, a big crossover event with the all new x-men team the, the time displaced five the poison x storyline it wasn't great but the idea that it, you know you took this guy that was just a street level spider-man villain 20 years ago and now is you know doing space adventures with the x-men yeah no he he has uh been enjoyable and uh seems like king of swords is not king of swords king in black is being highly uh regarded like it, it seems like it's doing pretty well which I think people were pretty high on Empire when it first started, too. Um, we'll see if this one continues, because we've got Marauders has a King in Black issue, and the core line features a little bit of the X-Men. So we'll keep you posted what we think of what's going on in that element. You guys ready to talk about uh, this week's comics? Uh, Let's get, yeah. get it. All right, well, let's start with Marauders, number 17. Not part of the King and Black tie-in, but uh, continuing the story of Kate Pride, Emma Frost, and the rest of that rest of that Marauders team. What happened in Marauders this week? Stuff. Stuff happened in Marauders. A lot of confusing stuff. Um, Emma is still kind of trying to set up her... I think in a way revenge with uh, Shaw and she is also in the process of getting a state dinner basically um, done at the new, Oh, what would you call it? I guess the embassy, but it's, it's not on Krakoa. So it's off site that Magneto had built in his standalone comic. Um, during that time, you also have, uh, uh, Calypso uh, basically going up to Storm and saying she wants to go into the Crucible because I guess she doesn't have her powers, but also like since she kind of, you know, has she figures out that Storm is going to leave the Marauders, but she wants Storm to fight her in the Crucible so that she can die and then be resurrected with her powers. So going after that, you have the Red Queen. No, is she the Red Queen? Yes, Red Queen. Uh, decides she is going to visit the friends that uh, took care of uh, Lockheed in Madripoor and realizes that the city is in upheaval with the Verendi kind of basically in charge because they bought the government. Uh, she decides to counter with having them purchase most of the slums and things like that in response and then takes the time to threaten Verendi. I'm going out of order in the comic a little bit just to tie in their ends. Um, yeah, to, to threaten the Verendi with what they've been doing. And then Callisto is eventually, uh, eventually fights Storm and is killed with a heart attack because it's better than knives because she doesn't like being cut. And then she is then resurrected. And that's basically the 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 issue. It was 
it, it, it's hard to to describe what's going on in this. Um, yeah, <laughs> because it seems like a lot, but also nothing at the same time. Do, do you understand what I mean? I think what it comes down to is like it felt pointless. Like this issue did nothing that progressed the story for me. I didn't even know Storm had some sort of issue coming out of the event. Well, yeah, this is like they just made her gloomy, sort of, and then just reminded you that Callisto doesn't have powers, which I, I guess I didn't realize. Yeah, because I'm, I'm like, oh, she doesn't or have half powers. Has them. I mean, if you're going to share credit for Ten of Swords, you have to share a responsibility for Ten of Swords as well. And Storm, there's no foreshadowing in there that Storm is in a bad place or a disaltered state. Right. Like, you need to show me that Storm is struggling. And you need to show me why I care about this character. You need to show me right. how Kate Pride feels about not going on that event, even though she totally could have. Especially a in a crossover of issues where it's not one single writer writing the big storyline. It's all of them teaming up. It's so, you know what I mean? That Duggan had the opportunity to present those pieces to give them to you, to set up for this. It just doesn't feel like we ever did it. It feels like a lot of this, like like Marauders is slowly descending into just being a mess. I I hate to say it, but it doesn't seem coherent. Look, I'm, I'm as big a Marauders fanboy as there is for a very long time. I would have told you, I thought it was the best book. It's certainly, I I think it started very high, which is maybe why it has to come down, but it really has this book, this issue specifically for me, it's just a very strange timing, right? Because it opens on a flashback, which to me, the whole buildup to Kate dying and the revenge of Shaw is what this book has been about in this arc, right? And so the death of Kate, one of the few things in all of comics that I think was helped by COVID, because it actually made it feel like she was dead longer, right. because we didn't get comics. And in in some ways, that was a real blessing in disguise, a silver lining, that it adds more gravitas to that death and then then it's the big swelling build to the revenge of Shaw once she does come back after that delay and I guess in some ways it depends on your feelings on it that I could see how you would say that that revenge issue maybe it was a little flat from what yeah. it was to but definitely heavy-handed yeah but either way it wasn't terrible it was you know above average I suppose but then to go back before that My, and how you... average has fallen <laughs> But then to go back before that and give me some like mostly unnecessary little piece to show me that Shinobi wasn't in on it, you sort of take away anything that was special about that that building arc. And then it's like, oh, we got there. We finally got the release of that revenge on Shaw. And then the first thing you do is you're like, let's let's go backwards and see some inconsequential uh, political piece. I think Shinobi is way more interesting if he wasn't in on it. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, if he, if you make me think he might have been without right. knowing, like, but, why, why but you went that? out of your way to just spoil any possibility of that? Yeah, like you, yeah. you could have saved that for something later. Like that, I don't know. It, I mean, if put you, him in like, there, make him part of the team, and be like, is he going to betray us at any second? It feels like they just wanted to give an explanation, like a throwaway explanation that he's he's a good guy, but they spent like four pages doing that and a flashback that could have been a throwaway line. Yeah. 
Emma, just say I scanned him. He's good. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I still I still get teed off for some reason every time they bring up the whiskeys that they age, their Krakoan whiskeys. Where I'm like, <laughs> uh, you know what? This this no. It's like uh, there there is just something that some things that are sacred. <laughs> this. It, I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm really down on this book, but this issue just really encapsulated for me uh, that I, I think Marauders has to get out of a lull because I think this book is at its best when it's a mix of political drama and high seas action. And I don't There's remember. There's been very little high seas. I don't remember the last time we got high seas action. More pyro. More eyes. Pyro is probably the character that we're Bishop. Like yeah. those two were probably the most interesting and we are seeing less of them. It's just, I get that we got a little bit of action in the Storm Callisto fight, but it, it doesn't feel mm. the same. It, and it and, felt pointless. Like they're buddies, but they're not. Yeah, it, the whole, I, I don't know, the Crucible thing maybe isn't my shtick. It just feels a little weird to me. But I, I just, the drama of that felt a little forced. The idea of, and then I, the idea that, our, what's the upcoming storyline? A state dinner? You want to sell me and get me excited about action? And you're like, oh, a political dinner. Like I need something on a boat with swords. I I have a question. Okay, Callisto doesn't have her powers due to the House of M story arc. Correct. That's that's what they're saying. That appears to be what we were. Okay, when she said no more mutants, didn't it make them human? Um, I mean, they talked about this with the Crucible. I think they still got to come to Krakoa. And like then they, they could still go have, the like they, so the, they still have the mutant gene. It's just like it's deactivated, it's dormant. Yeah. Okay. Are you looking at the technical violations of whether they'd be allowed? Right. Yeah. It's like what? What are they even doing on the island, dude? What is Storm doing here? Honestly, this book needs like put Nightcrawler and rework it. But Nightcrawler's getting his own book, so we'll let it go. Do you no, remember the I want scenes? Nightcrawler and Pyro on a boat? <laughs> but do you remember the scenes? In like the first six issues with Kate fighting. Oh, Bond. they're great. It's so good. It's it's some of the best action we've seen since yeah. we've started the podcast through Hoxpox. Yeah. It was you fun. Know, it was interesting. It was exciting. To me, X4, it's kind of sad because X-Force in this book were like the two books I think I came out of those initial issues the most excited about, uh, with lots of potential to get better or worse. And X-Force didn't get better, and this one got worse. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's kind of how like, I feel about this Okay, movie. The way they're doing Kate, like, is, is, is the drinking not helping her, is what I wonder. Because she just seems to be not how she's... St- I mean, I get it, she's Kate now, not Kitty, but even when she started as Kate, she was still a good person like now it's getting really weird with her behavior it does it almost feels like it's leaning a little too one-dimensional that even earlier i felt like it was more maybe it was just because it was new so it was a change up but it felt more robust whereas now it just seems like she's sort of become a a caricature of yeah there's 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 little things like and, the, and this stems more from the issue of the fact that they have created a nation, a Krakoan nation with the government and things like that. Kate walks in with stacks of money and just buys all this really worthless property. <laughs> it's like in any other country, 
there's an accountability issue with that where they're like, wait, wait, why are we spending money here and buying these human, you know, piece of property that really only serve to tick off the ruling establishment? But like the whole, the whole cell. Well, hold on. We don't know. Maybe she got approval from the democratically elected X Men, or <laughs> approval from the you know the appointed totalitarian quiet council. Fair. But this was supposed to be a book, and it's, at one point it was high seas adventure, high seas adventure, and rescuing mm-hmm. mutants to get them to Krakoa. That's true. And where where is it gone? That's true. Like what what where are the mutants that they're supposed to be saving? Saw the writing on the wall. Told you a long time ago. <laughs> no, I, no you're, I, I'm totally fine with I mean, what you're saying. Maybe it just took me a little while to get there. But I think I think it – I don't know. I, I wanted to believe that it could be. And I don't mind the political drama. I think it's, I think it's core to what the Marauders book is. Because in a lot of ways, Marauders is also a Hellfire book. You could rename it that if you wanted to. But it ha- there has to be a balance, and we're not getting that. Yeah. Pyro. The answer is Pyro. See you next next week with uh, Pyro, hopefully. Um, well, I'm, I'm with you. I, I want to retouch on that X-Force thing one last time because I, I'm trying to decide where to rank these two, and I honestly think X-Force gets to limp by with a C, whereas Marauders has like had enough DF issues, and I'm like, dang, are we really here where X-Force is a better book than Marauders? Uh, on consistency level, yeah. I mean, just overall enjoyment at this point. I'd say, like, yeah. the high highs were great, but, like, if you go with average scores per issue, I think X-Force might edge them out now. Like, that's where we're at. Are you talking about where we're at right now or from the very... I just mean, like, overall. Like, I mean, if you go from, like, day one to day two, I think X-Force has been a solid C to B all the time, and Marauders has been, like, A, A's and D's. I think I would if I if you told me I only got one book from beginning to now, I still think I'll take Marauders. I think the highs were real high. They were front heavy though. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that's why if you talk about where we're at right now, I I probably go X Force, but I don't think that's necessarily saying a ton. But o- overall, I get what you're saying. I maybe it was a little bias. I might still lean with the highs of Marauders. Nice. Uh, no arguing with that, with the action uh, as tight, succinct, and well-written as it was in those first few issues. Uh, let's go ahead and change gears, not talk about the old books from Dawn of X. Talk about one of the books that has come uh, as part of Reign of X, this new storyline we have going now. Uh, Ten of Swords, uh, not Ten of Swords, uh, but uh, Sword Number 2 uh, came out this week. King of Black tie-in. Dane, what happened in Sword Number 2? So like you said, Sword's second issue drops us right into the King and Black crossover story. A Venom-like symbiote has encased the Earth, and it's up to the combined intelligence and power of the Sword crew to find a way in, figure out what they're dealing with, and help out, all while keeping the station safe from symbiote space dragons. The team makes it to Krakoa for Fabian Cortez to power up a hurt Sunfire and save the day, while Agent Brand's secret Protocol 5 mission is carried out by Mentallo as he arrives to evacuate the Five in case of a worst-case scenario. All seems stable until a symbiote emerges through the Krakoan gate. Impossible, right? Not if it has a mutant host like Cable. All right, well, uh, very succinct. Uh, I didn't necessarily 
care that much about the reveal that that cable it kind of looked like adult cable in the first panel but it turns out it's a symbiote possessed cable can't tell if that's because of the king in black artwork randomly aging him up or because he's possessed by a symbiote or just that weird shot we got of him but i thought the first panel was old man cable in the future like having lost or something old man past future cable I mean, to be fair, it could be old man past. It's not ruled out. You're correct. But overall, I thought this issue just out of having action felt like the superior issue this week. Kelsey, where'd you feel like, what'd you feel about this issue? Lots of things. Hold on. Not just, um, not just the action. Action. Sunfire. Reveal with Kid Cable. Uh, being Sunfire, Fabian Cortez doing what Fabian Cortez does. I liked, I liked uh, Agent Brand's memo on like the, the 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 people that she's hired, and she's like, eh, I could get backups. I really can't back this one up. These people are taken. It's like, so this is what I have to work with. Metallo is just like, he's a crook. He's just completely a crook. He's gonna use any excuse, you know, possible. And you know, uh, talking about Fabian Cortez, and it's like, uh, in the future, I may need someone else, but. You know, there are drawbacks to them. You know, I I like, I like that. The, it, it was, it's nice. You know, honestly, like that was an important lesson I learned, like working oh. in, like as a teacher, I'm like, why do we have, like, why do you hire this person? Why don't you get rid of them? And it's like, oh, like they, they can't help it. Like, this is who they have to work with. And they have to make them better. Like, you know what I mean? Like they can't, you can't always get thought, the best. I thought your lesson yeah. as a teacher was like, well, everyone's replaceable, even the kids. No, just like you get what you get. You don't. It's like, because I would question my principal, like, why are you letting this person like drag everything down? It's like, I, I you know, sometimes you, got you gotta it. try and make them better. You do yeah. the best you can as a whole. Well, and that's sort of, in many ways, the whole core of this book. I know I'm making like a, a huge, uh, wide sweeping statement for two issues, but man, this is an enormous cast of rotating E tier characters. <laughs> and it's oh I know yeah we, we mentioned that about yeah like okay. hellions that it was like a c and d tier but it was a stable roster even though it is sort of a big one but man this is huge i don't know how we're supposed to keep up with all of this and these are not premier x-men it kind of feels almost like no. a interesting I, I don't mind it if that's what this book is i don't mind it if this is the book where Every issue spotlights diverse mutants from all over Kokoa doing yeah. big things. Um, I will say it'll be hard if we don't have, you know, we have Brand, but if she doesn't get heavily involved in the story, I feel like it might come across as a little. I, th- I think you do need four or five core members that stay always and then you're right i i don't mind if it's a oh my gosh look at that guy even just you know throw outs to really obscure mutants for the you know the true nerds to be like oh i remember that guy well it's it's sort of is more about the building of that organization though too than just a a team exactly it's got more parts than that you know it has individuals that stay on on the station for for purposes it has you know they have the guy in the chair they have uh you know different team setups like like where they were having 
oh, Metallo, go do his own thing to go get his think tank, which is literally a tank. Um, <laughs> you, you know, Fabian Cortez is sent somewhere. You know, that, that I'll tell type you what of, this book is to me. It, for it to succeed, to, for me, set up. more zero. Thank you. I want heavy Abigail Brand. I want heavy Fabian Cortez. I could maybe, I don't know enough about like the Wiz Kid character. Maybe put that maybe back burner, let it simmer for me, see if I like w- what's coming up. But it's, for me, it's Brand and Fabian Cortez. Cortez is the sinister of sword, as far as I'm concerned. That he's stealing the show. The dialogue oh, yeah. he's got, that 100%. he's clearly like working stuff, that Brand knows it but can't stop it. I think they need to take a lesson from, you know, Star Trek, which is pretty much what this is the mutant version of. And the two series, they made it very clear that Picard and Kirk were the main characters of each of their respective shows or whatever. And you can put the crew around them, but like you need to have them at the heart of almost every story for it to work. So I hope they figure out how to make the story feel not so messy and all over the place. Because uh, that that is a concern I have going forward. I will say, though, uh, we've talked a lot about the story and the characters and the structure and stuff. I think the art and the coloring and sword thus far has been pretty standout as well. Pretty I, good. I, I feel do, like it's kind of generic-y. I don't, I don't know. I think, look yeah. at it, I think it might actually be really? the coloring I like that it. I enjoy perhaps I more than the art. Which sometimes... I don't know how much credit to give one direction or the other when I'm looking at comics. Uh-huh. It's hard for me to separate because when I look at it, I'm not thinking, oh, the colorist did a great job. I just think the art is really good. Well, but- they don't overly rely on muted colors. And like a lot of times you'll mute the color palette to make it all blend together a little, like flow easier and not risk. Uh, yeah. But they, they take risk. And, and for the most part, you're right. It works. And I think, yeah, I, I think this is one where looking at it and scrolling through it even now, for me, it's it's the colorist, I think, that I want to give a lot of credit to. There's a lot of light work where characters are, you know, shining in the ambient light around them. While it doesn't have sort of the psychedelic few panels that we saw in Sword 1, there are still some great moments with really bold colors, like when they land on Krakoa and it's in the ice and snow and it's all white. But we have these, you know, the black and red symbiote dragons and stuff. There is just really good... And then Sunfire has some, you know, the intense reds and oranges. I think it's, I think the coloring stands out more than anything to me. And issue number one specifically had like amazing coloring, especially in like the white hot room and stuff. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, great. um, Great start to Sword. I think one and two both did their job and hopefully they can provide a focus moving forward. Is where, where I kind of fall in those books. Any last thoughts on Sword? I didn't think I was going to find myself talking up a colorist when I started this episode. Yeah. But maybe that's something I should focus more on when I'm looking at comics. Yeah. Well, I think, sadly, uh, there's room towards the top of the list to join Hellions up there. <laughs> like, Hopefully we can get some rebounds here. Because I'm looking for a book to, to be in the realm of competing with Hellions. So that's pretty much where I'm at. I will say, I know we've kind of, we've kind of beaten down some of the original dawn of x books and rightfully so on some of them but i do think we we would be amiss not to think about how many good new books we had gotten you know cable yeah. hellions even i know it's not necessarily your thing I, 
Quentin, but I think X Factor has been um, yeah, yeah. really good. I think, I mean, we've gotten a lot of good stuff, but it does feel like some of the older yeah. core stuff has slipped a little bit. Yeah. And to be fair, we also haven't seen a cable issue, I feel like, since. I know. While I was getting ready to say that, I'm like, when is the last time we saw cable? Yeah. Well, well, you. Saw him. He Maybe that's why we're not getting a lot of cable right now. Got a symbiote on yeah, because he's a symbiote dragon boy. All right, well, let's jump into the danger room. Contestants have 20 yes or no questions to figure out the person, place, thing, or idea from the Marvel Universe. Let the questioning begin. Dane, do, do you think it's Fin Fang Foom? <laughs> Just the dragon? Is that where you're... Yeah, yeah dragon reference? Come on. <laughs> uh, is this a character? Uh, no. It's not Fin Fang Foom, then, Dane. Uh, is it a place? No. Is it an object? Mm. No. Okay. It's not an object, not a character, not a place. But the object part is a. Is it earthbound in nature? Is it terrestrial? Is it from Earth? No. Is this a team? Yes. Is it a species? Yes. <laughs> so, so far, we have not an object, team, species. Um, okay, so a non-Earthbound species. <sighs> Is this grouping of organisms? I feel safe saying that. Closely associated with the X-Men? No. Uh, do, do these organisms... Uh, do they have a weakness to sound? High-pitched sound? Um, you know, they're not organisms. <laughs> So species that that's what I'll give you. <laughs> so it's maybe a team, maybe a species, but not organisms. Definitely a species. Okay, so <laughs> definitely a species, but not organisms. Yeah. Are they symbiotic in nature? Yes. Do you actually need us to like know the name of that species? Are are symbiotes not organisms? They're inorganic. Wait, really? Like they're, but they're like alive. Mm, is that your guess? Oh, my <laughs> guess. Um. Huh. So I, I think you're living in a '90s world. What was that? Think, I think it's in it's 2020. Things have changed, my man. So, 
because do we just think it's the species of the symbiote? symbiote yeah yeah i i don't know if they have a specific name they do they're the clintar but i don't know oh. if that's Do we? Yeah, I, don't I mean, I think that's what it is. I mean, you just swing for the fences here. Yeah. All right, I'm. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna say the Clintar. Yeah, the Clintar is the twenty <laughs> questions. But they're they're okay. So they're an inorganic, amorphous, symbiotic extraterrestrial created from the living abyss at the beginning of the universe by the primordial de- deity Null who manifested a sword of living darkness called All Black from his shadow to slaughter a celestial and other deities. So they're not an item and they're not organic, but they're also, I don't know what they are. So since you said that, I was like typing to see if that was true. Like, and I I found the page while you were reading it, that paragraph. And you are 100% right. Not only does it specifically say inorganic, it that's the only part of that paragraph that gets a direct yeah. cite. Yeah. yeah. Telling you that in Venom number 12, we find out. And I mean, I've, I've read that Venom arc extensively. And I'll tell you, like, they're his shadow. Like, the, the first ones were made from his shadow. So... <laughs> And sometimes you just got to remember that we're 30 year old dudes reading comics. Like, yeah, I can't remind myself I am reading a comic. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but you know what? I still love it. Yeah, man. It's awesome. (laughs) I'm never going to apologize. I mean, I I guess, I don't know. Like the shadow that is like the. light is pointing towards him and there's nothing there behind him so that's what it is i you know i don't i don't know why for some reason this is the thing all the stupid ridiculous things that i've read in x-men comics over decades and this is like i'm just like oh yeah shadows hey hey, you know what you know what they're trying something they're doing something all right (laughs) like i said it's it (laughs) it doesn't make any sense that i've i've picked this one thing at this point to get hoity-toity over i don't know why hoity-toity all right well boys it has been a fun episode we'll be back next week with all the news going on Krakoa. we'll see you then see you later take care hi and thanks for listening to the examination podcast if you enjoyed the podcast write us a five-star omega level review that would make us mutant and proud we would really appreciate it me and the guys love talking nerd and we want you to be a part of the conversation as well If you have any topics you want to discuss, questions to ask, or suggestions for the Marvel 20 Questions Danger Room segment, you can always get connected with us. Email us at q.examination at gmail.com. Remember, examination is E-X-A-M-E-N-A-T-I-O-N. You can also follow us on our Twitter handle, at examination, spelled the same way. Or visit our website, examination.com blogspot.com thanks again for listening we love having you be a part of our community and we can't wait to hear from you see you next week